Welcome to Digital Marketing Intelligence for Shopify, Ask the Experts. Our weekly podcast and video show offers Shopify's ecosystem of brand owners, store developers, app providers, investors, and marketing agencies, insights from case studies and discussions with marketing and e-commerce experts. Grow faster with tips, tricks, and proven strategies and learn what's new in e-commerce digital marketing for 2022 and beyond. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Digital Marketing Intelligence for Shopify Ask the Experts. I'm Marissa Morgan. I'll be your show host today. I'm also the Director of Business Development for Engage. On behalf of myself and the entire team at Engage, welcome to today's show. Today's topic is how to gain profitable international growth for your e-commerce or D2C brand. Our guest is a highly experienced and data-driven CEO who will be sharing his secrets with us. Before we get started and I bring on our special guest, though, I'd like to share a secret with you. If you didn't know this, we launched an app in May of this year, May of 2022, called SMS Messaging for Shopify Stores. It's an app that makes it really easy for Shopify stores to build their customer list faster, increase sales, save time with automation, and promote new products with targeted personalized campaigns. If you didn't know this, SMS has a 98% open rate, might even be higher right now, compared to email, which has about a 20% open rate. So if you're not yet using SMS messaging for your e-commerce business, you're leaving a lot of business and a lot of connecting with your customers on the table. So check out our app. You can take a free 30-day trial and get 500 free SMS messages to use. After today's podcast, go over to www.ngagge.com. That's engage.com. Put in any US-based mobile phone number, take the app for a quick test drive, check out how it works, and then you can sign up for your own free 30-day trial and get 500 free messages. You've got nothing to lose but a whole lot of business to gain. Check it out. And that's from Engage. Okay, bringing on today's special guest, joining us all the way from Germany, his name is Max Rost. And if you don't know who Max is, he is the co-founder and CEO of Klar, the single source, source of truth for e-commerce brands. He was previously a CMO at Y Food, a D2C food and beverage brand from Germany, doing over $100 million in revenue across Europe, and also the CMO of Jumia South Africa, Africa's first tech unicorn that went public on the New York Stock Exchange in 2019. Couple of fun facts about Max. He's one of four brothers. He, he's lived in four different countries and he's about to be a new dad. That's exciting. Max, welcome to today's show. Thank you so much for being our guest expert. Thank you, Marissa, for having me. Really great to uh, be on the show today. Well, we're excited to have you. Now, how far away are you to becoming a new dad? How many weeks? Uh, it's 10 more weeks. So uh, we're kind of, you know, uh, getting getting close uh, the first couple of weeks was uh, the first couple of months you were kind of like ah still long way to go long way to go and now we're getting to a point where like like jesus okay it's uh <laughs> soon 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 i can relate i just got married in july 
and we thank you we planned it for a year and same thing (laughs) it was really hard to get focused and get things off you know checked off the list a year ago but all of a sudden when the wedding was in like you know five or six weeks it was like oh my goodness like thank goodness we got a lot done because now it's like right here it it feels like it's coming up so fast well congratulations and And this is interesting. So you've lived in many different countries, and I know um, South Africa being one of them. You were the CMO of Jumia. Um, now you are the CEO and founder of Klar, which is a German-based company. Can you tell yeah. our audience a little bit more about specifically what your company does and why you consider it to be really the source of truth for e-commerce brands? Yeah. So um, like you mentioned before, I was also the CMO at a company called uh, Waifu. And um, while I was there, we were kind of expanding internationally rapidly at the time, um, going into different countries at a very, at a very, very uh, high pace. We also expanded the team from like 15 to 45, just in marketing in a span of six months. And I was looking for a place to basically essentially bring all the data that existed together for me and my team to go into and really understand what was going on into all these different markets, which is also, you know, essentially the core topic of what we're talking about today. And I kind of figured there would be something along the lines of like a Shopify or Clayview for the data side um, of D2C brands. But I looked at a bunch of things and I had to realize that there was nothing really that, um, well, fulfilled my expectations in such a tool. So uh, I started speaking to other people about it, uh, what they were using, and everybody was kind of like saying, okay, we're still using a combination of some spreadsheets in Data Studio. Um, And so, yeah, um, that seemed like a great idea. We started working on it and really having like a place where you can just authenticate with all the data sources that you have, like a Shopify or Klaviyo, but also like a Facebook ads, Google ads, TikTok ads, GA, and a bunch of other things. And then just integrating them together and visualizing them in the way that's really optimized for small, medium e-com brands. And yeah, that's kind of what we do. And uh, that's how we call it a single source of truth for e-commerce brands. So you no longer have to have tons of different spreadsheets or data studios, just everything you really need across financials, acquisition and retention is coming together in one place. In one place. And you can check out his website, getklar, that's G-E-T-K-L-A-R.com after today's episode. Well, let's dive into what you're here to share, all the goody-goody secrets on how to be more profitable in your D2C or e-commerce brand. And we created a nice outline for those of you watching the video show. For those of you listening on the podcast, I'll read through this and we'll talk about each of these points one by one. Before I do that, though, I have a little cough. So I'm going to mute my mic for a second. Hold on, everybody. Got a little throat tickle going on. Not not the best time for that. Hang on one second. Okay, here we go. Diving into the secrets to fast, profitable international growth for e-commerce and D2C brands. You are here, Max, to share what it takes to enter a new market. I think you have experience in that, I'd say, having been in so many different countries in different uh, segments as well. You're going to share with us best ways to understand your unit economics before expansion and how much a company should be spending on acquiring a new customer to maximize growth. I think that's interesting because the one takeaway I have heard over and over throughout our series is it's always less money to retain a customer than go out and find a new one. So I'm interested to hear what you have to share in terms of how to 
you know, how much you should be spending to acquire a new customer. So let's talk about what it takes to enter a new market. What are your thoughts and insights on that yeah. really great topic? So why I actually wanted to talk about that, because obviously, I guess in your clients and listeners here are mostly based in the US, right? And the US being such a big market, obviously, international expansion is always not really like a primary thought from the beginning, right? You have such a big market that you can kind of spend on like, you know, years and years and years without really having to go abroad. Whereas, you know, the smaller your home market becomes, uh, the more or the earlier international expansion really becomes like a primary topic for you. And like Germany, where I'm originally from, is like actually in this quite rough spot where it's like, you know, it's quite big, but it's not really that big. So, you know, um, you can kind of fall into the trap of thinking about it too late. Whereas if you go into like smaller countries like the Netherlands or like the Nordics, like Sweden, they are so small that basically from the beginning, they know if they want to build something meaningful, they have to um, expand and uh, into, into, into new markets. And, you know, me always starting out in smaller markets, South Africa or Germany, like international expansion, always was a, a very important topic for us um, in order to, to grow the companies um, to a meaningful size. So yeah, that experience and the fact that most US brands don't really seem to prioritize it so much, I figure that would be a good place uh, to start. And then also how you can really think about making it profitable. Um, so yeah, that just in terms of some background, I think, you know, I think the real important thing to understand is that first of all, it's just important to, you can't really draw this thing up in like a, in like a presentation or something like that. Right. So um, it's actually, yes, there is, it's a very big, big complex topic that you have to tackle, especially if you also have to move your supply chain and your production and can, can become a very, very big topic very quickly. And But evaluating a market from the outside is extremely difficult, if not impossible. So um, the best way really is to just go in that market and operate in that market. So when I worked at, uh, at Y-Food, which is uh, selling these uh, drinkable meals here, we kind of the original plan was to expand into eight new markets over the span of I think it was 18 or 24 months. And we then quickly realized, okay, first of all, what is actually stopping us, you know, to do it everything now basically in one go? Because if you have like a centralized uh, supply chain, it's actually not that difficult to expand. But you can actually learn a lot more of how a market really behaves because it might seem that Europe and their cultures are quite similar, but the way they actually behave is quite different. And you can only really find out what is working where and how if you start to operate in that market. You can do it cheap in the beginning, but just basically, especially if you have, um, you know, if everything is in English, like it would be for most US brands, you can just, yeah. you know, copy that over. And, um, you know, the people who, at least many people already speak English, they, they, they can still respond to that. But eventually you will have to localize it. But you can start off and try to get the initial understanding of how certain markets behave and where you might want to localize by just using English-speaking creators. But then very quickly, you probably want to start um, localizing your creatives. It just works um, so much better. And you would think you know, that a product like this, um, a meal you can drink, it would never work in countries like like France, 
right? They're like very food driven or like Italy. Or Italy, Italian, yeah. I was thinking Italian Italy right food. Away. Yeah. Like those are, I want those, spaghetti. I don't want to drink something out of a bottle. Italian. Right. Those were the two markets you would. We originally also thought like, ah, oh, we're going to have a tough time, and they ended up actually working uh, pretty pretty good to great, you know. Um, so you really have to start operating in those markets. That's like I think really the first thing that I would advise um, people to do. You can start cheap, but then very quickly on, if you really want to understand the market and um, grow in that market, you have to start localizing. So you need to have a localized. Um, website you need to have localized marketing otherwise in like nine out of ten markets there are very some very few markets where you can actually get substantially big but uh, big by or large but just uh, in english but at most you can't and then it's really a question of team setup and how do you build out your team and we you know like i said we expanded into into eight new markets in like six months and launched them in six months so that was quite a massive um challenge and most companies often try to or want to hire some sort of country manager, right? Mm, they go, oh, yeah. we're going to have, have someone who's like head, head of this country. The problem is though, and there's like usually like a, you know, business grad kind of person who's like a jack of all trades sort of thing. The problem that usually happens is that that person actually ends up doing nothing and like more work and you hire like a high profile person in with like the promise of him being able to be the country. But in the end of the day, it's just dependent on other people actually doing the work, you know, because he can't do any ads, which is like the core thing that really you have to be doing. So what we ended up doing is that we kept the, um, well, we didn't get any country managers, but we got in natives and locals that we're managing our influencer marketing because YFood was also quite big in influencer marketing. And also again, to grow your influencer marketing in those countries, you would need to have someone who understands those local markets and speak those languages. And they took on like a similar kind of like country manager function in terms of that they were sort of responsible for making sure that everything is all right, you know, but um, not really like a country manager who has like a PL, PL like a, like a PL responsibility um so, so yeah just, just to, yeah just to pause for a minute then so just <laughs> my takeaway is your suggestion in order to take on and enter a new market is just to right away get in and just start doing it especially if it is a country or a market that speaks the same language because you can yeah. certainly go out and you can a b test we talk about that a lot you know you can put some of your marketing out there you can test it you can see how it's received but once you start to do that, just to get a feel, and then you actually start investing more money, you, of course, need to have localized teams. But I, I, I kind of like your suggestion that those localized teams can do a lot of the work and can submit a lot of information and data mm. and reporting to a higher up at the main headquarters and you don't necessarily need a country manager. That seems to make sense to me. Uh, yeah. And influencer marketing. I like how you touched on that because that's something we've been talking about a lot. I mean, 10 years ago, influencer marketing, marketing was, was actors, you know, on TV, pushing deodorant and pushing coffee and gum, you know, it was always actors or celebrities. And now we're seeing more of a, a shift to obviously local influencers mm. and people who are out in certain niches in the market 
um, being able to offer a lot to companies around the globe, really. So I think it does make sense, the idea of having maybe an influencer manager. That, that yeah. just All that makes a lot of sense. And I like the way you were able to kind of break that down in terms of the importance of yeah. the roles. What we also then got was uh, a localization manager, which probably only makes sense if you have, you know, if you go into many markets. But yeah. she was essentially responsible for uh, orchestrating an army of translators. Because um, it doesn't really make sense to get that translation function function in-house. So we basically got someone and she, you know, identified and onboarded um, on the product and the brand, like two to three translators for every single uh, language. And then whenever we had some, you know, uh, translation needs, um, we got basically that over to our localization manager and then she distributed it across all those different translators, whoever she thought was the best fit for that specific tasks. And then that info came back into the teams. And yeah, so that was kind of like beyond influencer um, people, the only real, um, well, internationalization function that we had in the, com uh, in, in the company from, from day one. Fantastic, fantastic. Tell me a little bit, by the way, I know you're not with the company now, but so hmm. I, of course, you know, inquiring minds want to know. So it's a drinkable meal. Is it like a protein shake or is there something unique about it? Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, it's like a protein meal in that it's mostly, I mean, milk based. So yes, in that way it is. I think um, they, you know, the pitch is more, it's more like a, of, a, of a complete food. So it has mm -hmm. all the macro and all the uh, micronutrients that, that the body really needs. So it's not just protein, but also healthy fats and uh, fiber and all the vitamins and, and minerals that the body needs. So like all in one, essentially. Well, being that you have a lot of experience in D2C food brands, do you feel like there are some obstacles that food brands specifically have to overcome when they are trying to expand? Because I know there can be regulations, labeling, um, sure. differences in information and how it can be, you know, written on a label or what needs to be yep. disclosed. Do you feel like there's some unique challenges for food brands? I mean, that is certainly one of everything re regarding regulation. So um, we also initially didn't like it didn't make sense to localize the entire packaging right so we just put like some flyers uh that contains the legally important information in of the actual product in like the packaging which obviously mm -hmm. which you can do it's not really sexy you know but it kind of <laughs> works yeah from legal point of view but that's certainly um you know something that you have to have to take care of um then also when it comes to internationalization and uh importing so we were actually thinking about also you know launching in the in the us back then but we couldn't just import our products over um because they were milk based and so you kind of have to you know build out the entire supply chain there locally which kind of like moved back the internationalization to the us for the company quite a bit um and then obviously the most important thing, because when it comes to everything food and beverage based, I mean, if you maybe take out like supplements, but everything that's actually like a drink or meal, everything, it has to taste well, right? It's like if a product is, product, a food product is not going to work at scale if it doesn't taste good. 
and taste is also changing between countries. So if you try to expand, not something that people might like from a flavor point of view in one country, actually they may not in another country. So that can also be quite a challenge. That's a good point, especially because if the product is made in a different place to supply to another country and the ingredients available there are different, I could see that taste and flavor profiles would just change naturally based on ingredients, but then also obviously preferences in different yeah. countries. I mean, if you go like from Germany and you go to Spain, like the the uh, Fanta, Fanta yeah. tastes different, right? They just have a different recipe because people just have a different preference. Crazy. Oh, that's so interesting. It'd be fun. To, I'm actually, I'm going to Greece on my honeymoon in a couple of weeks. Ah, nice. And I'm, Where? Yeah. Um, in two weeks. Two weeks from, yeah. Two but weeks like, from, on like an island or something or just we're Athens doing. We're going to Athens and then we're going yeah. to Mykonos and Santorini. The big ones. Nice. Yeah. Nice. But I'm excited okay. to experience the food there. I'm excited, obviously, to experience the culture. But now that I'm just so excited to be part of Engage and like the digital world, e-commerce, it will be interesting to see how I feel digital marketing, e-commerce, advertising, marketing, just like how all of that is absorbed by me when I go. You know what I mean? It'll just be interesting to see what that world is like in, in such a foreign country, you know, especially one made up of mostly islands. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's see, you probably, uh, how, how, how many local e-commerce ads you'll actually get. Um, right. but, I want, uh, I wonder too on my cell phone, because obviously when I'm at the hotel, I'll be on Wi-Fi. I'm sure there's some apps that are still tracking me. I'm sure I'll, yeah. you know, if I go on Facebook, I mean, will I start to get ads for Greek restaurants or, you know, Greek brands? It'll be interesting. It'll be very, yeah. I'll have to report back. Maybe I'll report back and we'll do an episode yeah. on that. That'll be fun. Well, let's talk about a little bit, and, and you started to talk about this, but understanding your unit economics before sure. expan expansion. What do we need to know about the economy in, in the different markets when we want to expand? So I think, you know, there's a very clear, I call it like the three-tiered, you know, product, uh, sorry, three-tiered uh, profitability breakdown that I have in place either way, but especially when it comes to internationalizing, I think it's really, really crucial to have it. And um, it's kind of like difficult to explain. I think it's a lot, a lot easier if you can actually see what's going on. Uh, but I try to, you know, talk through it simply so that even uh, <laughs> when just listening, it's easy to follow. Um, so the usual P&L breakdown I would always look at, and you should be able to look at it that per country, is that you start at like a gross revenue, which is essentially what your customer pays you. From that, then you deduct your returns and taxes, and you would need those as a ratio also of your gross revenue, which then brings you obviously to your net revenue. From that, then you deduct your product costs, so your cost of goods sold. And that's where this three-tiered level starts now because that gives me my contribution margin one. So it's just my net revenue minus my product costs. Um, from the contribution margin one, you deduct your logistics and fulfillment costs as well as your payment costs, um, which gives me your contribution margin two. And then from that, you finally deduct your marketing costs, which gives me your contribution margin three or your net profit basically before overhead costs. And the reason why having this clarity, because so the three-tier breakdown is basically driven by the fact that the first one, the contribution margin one, is basically the cost you have of the product you're selling, right? How much margin 
do I have left after the product? Uh, I have produced the product that I have sold. The contribution margin two is then, okay, how much is left after I have delivered that product to the customer? You know, because mm. that's kind of cost I always have. I always have delivery. I always have payment. Right. And then the marketing cost is kind of only usually mostly occurs the first time I acquire a customer, I need to invest into marketing to bring him on board. But now everything across all of these levels can really change from market to market. It can be something very, very simple that um, taxes change. We actually, when we internationalized, we had a, had a huge, huge, uh, <laughs> uh, well, no issue, but like we, we were kind of aware of it, but not really to that extent that um, we sold the product at the same price. You know, but the taxes for the product in Germany were seven percent, whereas the taxes in Italy were like twenty-two or twenty-five percent, which obviously kind of like screws up your margin quite a bit. Um, yeah, I'd say. The, so that's one thing, and then obviously, if you have to start produce locally, you might have different logistic as a different product cost as well. But mm -hmm. then usually, especially, you have different fulfillment costs. So sending the product because you usually won't start you know, um, having your own warehouse in, new, in a new country from the get-go. That's something you do much, much later. So you will have different fulfillment costs for different countries. Then different countries mm -hmm. might have different, you know, culturally different levels of how frequently they return products. And there's just lots of fluidity across this process and just really understanding on just a few changes here and there because they always multiply up and multiply up so if you just have a five percent change here there and there you end up having going from an extremely healthy business to like a business that's no longer sustainable for you right 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 and so just having this clear breakdown and comparability between those countries is super important because it will also very quickly tell you hey from a just a pure margin point perspective where am I in a state where I think I can realistically actually build a profitable business, right? Um, and if you don't have that clarity from day one, you start over-investing into places uh, that will never really have a chance in the investment horizon that you have into that country to deliver any profits. That's interesting that you brought up the tax piece of it because my background is, other than obviously digital marketing, is in television and film. And one of the things in the U.S. which has caused the film industry to just kind of kind of swoosh all over it are these tax incentives that states will offer if you go to their state yeah. and film there. And I never really thought like one of the top things to think about, and I really do think it has to be kind of high up there, is the operating costs of doing business in another country solely based on, on taxes alone, because you just mentioned the taxes in one country could be three or four times the taxes of another country. And that alone, as you said, can make the decision for you right there, because there yeah. are places, I'm sure there's places in your business model and your strategy and your marketing where you can cut costs to make up for maybe higher costs elsewhere. But if the difference is so high, if the, the cost of doing business in one country, whether it's the taxes or legal fees or the even just the you know, supply chain demand issues or the transportation, getting the product there, if one of those is like way out in left field, I could see that that yeah. certainly you'd like to do those numbers prior to getting involved yeah. with that country. I mean, you at least want to be fully aware of the problems to make a decision. I mean, when, I, when yeah. we started out in, in South Africa, we kind of 
had to also build out our own logistics infrastructure because the, the the local post office was not able to deliver across the country right so we ended up having to also deliver some of the packages ourselves to be able to offer nationwide delivery from day one um, wow. but it's at least something we knew about you know and then you right. had other problems like when the, our our sister company in uh nigeria they sometimes don't even have like an, an address right so how do you deliver something to somewhere when there's no real street address right? Uh, right so you get a whole bunch of new problems and obviously if the market is potentially big enough and you have the funding enough you can still decide to pursue it but mm -hmm. it's really a decision you want to make consciously makes sense makes sense do the homework before even stepping foot so it almost takes us back to the first point you made which was just do it but now you're like wait a minute just do it but do your due diligence first yeah yeah i think just having actually the first thing i always really do you know and i think it's the same thing um of going into the new market is really going through this profitability structure right mm -hmm. and really understanding okay do these things make sense getting like initial quote right. Is there actually enough margin left at the end of the day that I can potentially even acquire customers? And if that's not given, um, that's not really worth pursuing anyway. And that both counts for new products as well as new markets. Well, speaking of acquiring customers, our last point that you're going to share with us is how much we should be spending on acquiring a new customer to maximize growth. Now, yeah. just for my clarification, when you use the word customer, are you speaking, well, yeah, we're talking direct to consumer. So we're talking about a brand that is out there that's direct to consumer. You're not talking about, let's say, um, say we are in a new country and we're looking to get our product into a store. You're talking straight on like a customer, a single yeah. consumer, right? Okay. Yeah, single consumer. So yeah, it's actually a, a big, big, interesting topic and always comes down to a couple of things, right? So I think the big question is really like, what are you optimizing for? You know, are you optimizing for growth or profit? Um, and what is your time horizon that you're optimizing for? So are you trying to get the best results in a year from now or in three years from now? So it's like the first real question that you always have to answer. Um, and now, but in this context, also this whole three-tiered uh, profitability structure is great again, because we can also use it to not just analyze everything on a single transaction basis, but also over the lifetime of a customer. Obviously here you have this uh, customer lifetime versus customer acquisition costs uh, situation. But the important thing is that customer lifetime value should always be measured based on your contribution margin too. So after your product costs, your logistics costs and payment costs, because these costs, they always happen no matter what, right? You will always have cost of the product you're selling and to fulfill it to the customer. So customer lifetime value should always be based on the contribution margin too. But then usually what happens in most e-com businesses is that marketing is only paid initially or most of the marketing is really used to acquire customers the first time, right? So what happens is that the marketing costs occur once up front and then you monetize the customer over a longer period of time. And then when the you know, some of all the contribution margin too from all the orders is bigger than the initial marketing costs. You know, you start turning a profit. Okay, that's like the theory of it. Now the question is, you know, how much bigger should that customer lifetime value be? And, you know, again, for that, it kind of depends on what your goal is. 
overall, there is a target range that usually sits between two and three. So if your customer lifetime value is, you know, somewhere between two to three times bigger than your customer acquisition costs, that will usually maximize the growth that you can achieve in the company. But now there's one final thing that's actually overlooked most of the times. And actually some really great companies can go bust by not thinking about this, right? Because if you start acquiring customers at a high rate and they actually do come back, but you just take too long to turn a profit on them, even though you turn a profit eventually, it takes you too long for them, you eventually run into liquidity problems. You just have no more cash flow, ah. right? So if you're really always calculating this customer lifetime, customer acquisition cost, it's a very much a function not only of you know, achieving profitability, but also managing liquidity. And you know, that's kind of like always the, the trade-off that you have to do um, between the two, profitability and liquidity and the amount of customers you can acquire that balances these two things out and Finding that kind of like equilibrium between the two is actually, yeah. If you know how to do it, it's not that difficult. But uh, you know, you know, you know, you you need to know what you're doing in order to get it right. Yeah, that's a really good point. I never really thought about the timing factor of it because of exactly what you shared. If they eventually roll back around, is it because you also spent a ton of money like doing that darn thing where, hey, this is in your cart. Hey, I saw you didn't buy it last week. Hey, are you still interested? Hey, here's a discount code. Like as much as I think sometimes those um, digital marketing strategy methods, you know, work, I think also mm -hmm. customers are getting smarter. Customers, yes, want to be connected, but they don't want to be pestered. There's a fine line between that. So it's just interesting that you brought that up. I just never thought about the timing aspect of it. And that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, we actually have on our, on our on our blog. There's um, an article called "Finding the Perfect CLV to Calculate for Your Business," where I also put like a little, like not super sophisticated, but I think good enough uh, model together uh, for everybody to use, where they can just plug in their own values and kind of help to try to understand what the right ratio is for that business. So if that's something um, you're keen on, then you should be looking at that. And it's also something an exercise that you need to be doing for every new market that you're going into, right? Mm -hmm. Because your contribution margins change, right? Uh, your return rates change, your taxes might change, the amount you have to spend per customer changes. So you cannot just work with like some flat uh, customer acquisition cost targets across the board. You really have to individualize it per country and also the rate at which customers return and repeat also is different. So it's really, that's an exercise that's, you know, it definitely needs to be done per country. Otherwise, you know, it just, uh, well, burn money. And you, you know, I have a question for you. I thought of as I was listening to you, I know you mentioned the rate at which customers return. And I'm assuming, do you mean the rate at which they return to purchase again? Or do you mean the rate at which they make returns? No, I mean, which they return to buy again. Okay, perfect. That's what I thought you meant. But hearing you say that, just curiosity, curiosity question made me wonder, have you seen trends being that you have expanded to multiple countries and you help other you know, businesses to do that with your platform? Um, have you seen that around the world, the idea of returning and making returns mm. uh, is a similar 
similarly viewed thing? Do you find that people in the countries you've worked in return things or is that more of a United States thing? It's vastly different from country to country. So I think Germany is actually among the worst when it comes to returns. So I think um, like fashion has an average return rate in Germany of like 50%. Um, wow. So like everything is basically being returned. <laughs> wow. Um, but then if we had the same business model in South Africa, I think our return rate was I think 12% or something. Hmm. Um, so that's like, what, like 20% or a quarter of what we have in Germany. The problem yeah. there was that we had a high cancellation rate so that people um, bought, but then they didn't pay. <laughs> oh, geez. Uh, okay. So kind of like every, every country has like this unique, uh, well, problems and advantages. Yeah, obstacles. And so, yeah, but returns also very uh, extremely unique from, from market to market in, you know, how frequently something is returned. Very, very interesting. I thought that was just a, the minute you said returns, I'm like, I wonder what it's like. Cause I would say I probably return maybe 15% of what I purchased or purchase specifically online and through D2C marketing, maybe 15%. I don't think that's overly high. It kind of depends, but no, uh, you're a good average customer, I would say. I, would, I think so. I think I'm pretty good. <laughs> uh, well, it has been a pleasure to have you on our show. You certainly Thank have you. shared some great secrets to fast, profitable international expansion and and some great tips and how-tos when it comes to D2C brands. I'd love to share with our audience how they can connect with you. But before I do that, is there anything you'd like to share to wrap up our talk today? No. Um, I think, you know, maybe the first initial uh explanation it was a bit lengthy but i always try to you know share very operational things so i hope people still find that useful if there's any follow-up questions you can always hit me up uh, on, on on my linkedin uh always happy to you know share also share quite frequently there are lots of stuff so uh, yeah please feel free to reach out and if i can help i'm always happy to do so well, I appreciate you coming on the show, sharing your insights and your advice. And you know what? I think every episode is, the first episode is always fun because we're just getting to know each other. The audience is just getting to meet you and, and know what your expertise is in. So I found that this talk was very informative and we'd happily have you back in the future to dive in a little deeper to any of the things that we started talking about sure. today. So if you guys want to connect with Max, you can find him on LinkedIn. You're going to do linkedin.com forward slash IN forward slash Maximilian, M-A-X-I-M-I-L-I-A-N dash Rast, R-A-S-T. So look for him on LinkedIn. And then let's talk a little bit again about Klar, the single source of truth for your e-commerce business. And I see, I go right to your website. You've got like a five-star review, perfect solution for our web shop. Another five-star review saying maximizes the insights we can generate. Another five-star review says, feels like it was built just for us. Another five-star review that says, extremely <laughs> user-friendly platform. Great reviews. It says, stop running your business on spreadsheets and in turn frustrating your team. With Clar, you can centralize all your data in one place and customize it to your reality, save time, and get clarity on how to profitably grow with Klar. When our audience visits your website, is there a place they can connect with you as well? I see you have a try Klar button. Do you offer yeah. a uh, like a, a demo or anything like that? 
Yeah, so um, they can just sign up either for a demo or an onboarding. Uh, we do have a 15-day trial. Uh, we do support all our customers in an onboarding with like a one-on-one -on -one onboarding, just making sure that, you know, they understand. I mean, the, the onboarding takes like half an hour, but we still want to take the time to explain everything, make sure they're comfortable, um, especially because many of these brands, they may not have be as data savvy right now. So we also give them a little mm -hmm. bit of introduction of how certain things work. So we'd like to take some time there, but yeah, they can either sign up first for a demo or immediately for non-boarding. And then we take them through everything and make sure that they are sorted. I love that. Spreadsheets are a thing in the past. Klar is your future. Bam. Love Bam. it. Max, thank you so much for joining me today. Your insights have been wonderful. I know our audience is appreciative of you sharing your time with us and I know that they'll connect with you on LinkedIn. Don't forget, guys, if you connect with our guests, just leave them a note in, in the uh, you know message section, letting them know you heard them on the Engage podcast. And uh, that way they know kind of where to trace you back to and uh, always be respectful of connecting with our guests. Max, thank you so much. I probably you, won't, won't talk to you until uh, you're a father. So best of luck in that journey. I hope everything runs smoothly and I hope that you and your wife, you know, get a decent amount of sleep in the, in the yeah. coming year. <laughs> I doubt it, but uh, yeah, thank you for having me on the show. Have a lovely trip to Greece and a wonderful honeymoon and yeah. Talk awesome. Soon. Thank you so much, Max. We'll see you soon. Bye. What an awesome guest. And I love the concept of the company that he's uh, the founder of, Klar. The idea of centralizing all of your data, throw away the spreadsheets, make it easier for your team, and also make it easier to expand internationally, especially if you have a D2C brand. He shared some really great insights and tips during today's episode. Well, listen, if you enjoyed today's show or you have friends or colleagues that you think might benefit from Max's advice and insights, please share the link to this podcast. And if you yourself are a Shopify store owner, maybe you're an agency owner, maybe you've developed an app for Shopify and you want to share more about it on our web, on our, on our podcast, please go ahead and connect with us on LinkedIn. You can find out more information about our podcast there. You can search under the company pages and you can look for N-G-A-G-G-E with the rainbow colored cog wheel. That's our logo. And you can also email me as well. I am Marissa, M-A-R-I-S-S-A dot M at N-G-A-G-G-E dot com if you'd like to join me on the show or you know somebody who would make a great guest for our podcast. In the meantime, don't forget to check out our app. It is SMS Shopify, SMS messaging for Shopify stores. You can find it at engage.com. For those of you watching right now on the video show, I'm popping something up on the screen. If you guys go to the website, it's super easy. You can put in any US-based mobile number and get a free demo of just how our app works. You can grow your Shopify store faster with SMS and SMS bots. And you can also like Max's um, Max's website, there is a button for also a free trial. You can get a free 30-day trial there as well. Well, listen, on behalf of myself, of course, Engage and our guest today, Max Ross, I want to thank you so much for joining us. And remember, SMS messaging, 98% open rate. Definitely consider doing that over email. And don't forget to centralize your data with Clar. You can do that at getclar. That's G-E-T-K-L-A-R.com. And please connect with our guest, Max, after today's show. Thank you guys so much for joining me. I'll see you next time. I think when I'm back from my honeymoon. Until then, have a great day, everybody.